0: You are now listening to a Fit Plus Love production. One of the really fun things about working at Cannondale is that I just, you know, when I moved here, I immediately was surrounded by riding friends because, you know, there's what 150 people in the office. Most of them are really into riding bikes. We immediately have like a crew to go ride with. And so we, we invent like little silly group ride slash party things to do. So we have, um, we just did our solstice ride, which is where we ride from dawn until dusk on the, hopefully on the solstice, which is actually today this year. But, but this year we had to do it on the Saturday before because you know, we're, we're working. <laughs> Yeah, um, but so we do that and then we're all really tired and we sit and we have a bonfire and we burn our grievances in the fire um, with the, along with a little effigy we make like really lazily out of um, firewood.
1: That was Nina Baum. This is Marnie Salop.
0: Thanks for tuning
1: into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative, Hello, welcome and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today on the podcast, I'm syncing up with Mina Baum, product manager of Cannondale. We're talking about how she got into cycling and mountain biking when she started competing and winning at a national level, how she pivoted from pro mountain biker, or MTB as we say, to project manager, and what she loves about it all. We also do a deep dive into gear and tech. Nina dials me into everything from frames and forks to wheels and tires. And she shares how mountain biking has driven innovation in cycling for years and how gravel is growing by the minute. I get tips and advice on gravel as a beginner in the sport. Nina shares a few of her favorite gravel rides in the Northeast and I get the scoop on what's on her bucket list as an athlete. We also talk about what it was like racing in New Mexico, how she lived in an Earthship, and what she enjoys about living and riding in Connecticut these days with her team, including haunted bike routes. Back in November, I went up to Cannondale to demo the Topstone Carbon Lefty, having never been on gravel or a gravel bike before and went for a ride with Nina for the first time. It was so much fun, I had such a great time. We rode on all kinds of gravel and a super mellow single track. And and while I did ask Nina a million questions on the bike ride, it did not bring my recording equipment. So here we are, Nina and I syncing up about all things gravel, mountain biking, cycling, and having the coolest job ever. Working at Cannondale. Before we dive in, shout out to my sponsors at Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. It transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed nutrition recommendations you need to optimize your health. Get 20% off today at com slash Marnie on the move. Now on to my conversation with Nina.
0: Because I'm working in the office now like three days a week. So I was like, if that's your house,
1: you have a lot of bikes. I was very uh, <laughs> jealous.
0: <laughs> this is my office, my home office. Um, it became my workshop during the pandemic. And the thing is, it's so much nicer to to work on bikes here at my house. Like I know where all my tools are. I don't have to share them with yeah. anybody.
1: <laughs> what are you working like, on? Like your
0: bikes. yeah. Um right now a little bit of everything. So I have some bikes that are in production now that um, we're still kind of like tweaking some some things, some especially the sort of um, operating system for, for some e-bikes. So I have Okay some like hub drive kind of um, commuter oriented sort of little urban e-bikes that are, that are super fun. So working on those, and then I have Adventure Neo, which was my Bosch um, e-bike, like what would you call it? A fitness bike, a comfort bike. Um, It's, it's like a really good bike for, for getting around. So I have one of those that I am working on a little bit, but like the bulk of my attention is on Topstone right now. So Tarbin, the one, the one that just launched playing, playing with that, um, playing with the specs for, um, bikes that we'll be launching in, uh, geez, three years. Um,
1: you seriously <laughs> have the coolest job ever.
0: I mean, I, I do, I do have <laughs> I love being a product manager. I love it so much. Like the day-to-day is, you know, just like any other job. It has a, a lot of, um, there's just a lot of grind to it. There's yeah. a lot of- And there's a lot of, you know, arguing and fighting for, to make decisions. And there's a million tiny decisions to make every day that sometimes you work so badly. Um, And then there's also, um, you know, like your suppliers don't always share the vision with you and it's hard to communicate (laughs) that to them. And, and there's a lot of like late night meetings to talk to, you know, people in Taiwan and then early morning meetings to talk to people in Europe. And, you know, like, I mean, there's all these things, but it's not, it seems like a great job, but there's a lot of work. Right. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of work, but I mean, like at the, at the, in every moment of that, like it's the realization that at the end of the the line, it's like, I'm making the most spectacular equipment to just elevate somebody's life. And that's, that's yeah. so cool. So, so just like the underlying motivation on a day-to-day basis is like always there. And it's always about like creating the most fun product for somebody to just absolutely have a blast. And so, you know, like having that underlying, all of it makes it just so much more easy to do. You know, rewarding.
1: I just want to say I had the best time riding with you in Connecticut. So and thank you so much. That was awesome. I really enjoyed it too. That was great. I know it was like very vanilla for you and you were showing me around, off, but I personally no, had the best time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Those are my favorite places to ride. So, yeah, you got you got the the full good taste.
1: And thanks for being on the podcast officially even though I think I interviewed you across gravel and single track (laughs) as much as I could talk.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And talking and riding is, is nice. I like that too. Yeah, totally.
1: (laughs) How did you get into cycling? Like where did your journey in, in cycling begin?
0: Um, I've always ridden bikes. Um, I got this 10 speed when I was, well, that wasn't even my first bike, but the first bike that I that I really, you know, got was, um, this like 10 speed white Peugeot. It was like a, um, a mixed day. I think they call it, um, frame, you know, like, like kind of a, a lady's bike, um, that you can <laughs> step over a little bit. Um, and I would ride that to, to school and back every day from the time I was like, Eleven until I was in high school, and I just I loved riding a bike, um, like for transportation. My dad was always a bike commuter, and I always thought that was really cool. He'd come home from work and just give these stories about like riding home in the rain and having people throw things at him, and I just thought it was so cool. <laughs> like, my dad was a giant nerd, but you know I, I yeah realize that. <laughs> Where would you grow up? Um, all over the place, but okay. I am in um, in Albuquerque. By the time I was eleven, we moved there when I was eleven, and then I- okay was there until I was, um, until, until I moved to Connecticut, actually, like I kept leaving and coming back, but.
1: So you were like commuting on your bike from age 11. Yeah. Yeah. It was. And you, what what did you love about it at that time
0: that led you to your professional career as a cyclist yeah. It's really, it's funny, isn't it? I think it was like that feeling of independence. And then just the, the whole synergy, like from really early age, I always felt like, so I was always playing sports in school and it always felt like I'm kind of, I'm limited by the constraints of my physical being, right? So I- right. Would- Track and I'd always just feel like, oh, I wish my legs were longer or something like this. Like I had a great engine, but I just didn't have like the the propulsive um, tendencies that that uh, you would need. Being on a bicycle, I just felt like, okay, this is this gene that just kind of merges with my physicality. Like I am the engine behind it, and it helps me overcome all of my limitations, and that was really cool. And so when mountain bikes kind of came onto the scene, my best friend in high school told me that she wasn't going to be my friend unless I bought a mountain bike and went mountain biking. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, okay, that's how it works. My money. And (laughs) I went and bought a mountain bike. And then she just dropped me so bad on our first ride. Um, I think I had a flat tire, but I didn't really know what that was. And so I was just, you know, just struggling. And we rode like the two miles up this hill back to my house. And I was just like dying. And she's like, you're not very good at this. And she was really mean about it.
1: But (laughs) (laughs) We're
0: we're still really good friends. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. She got tired of mountain biking a little bit later. Uh, But meanwhile, I'd been bitten by the bug and I I couldn't stop. And it was, you know, like one of the main things I wanted to do. Um, And then I kind of just, it just was in the background for many, many years. I didn't even try racing until I was well into adulthood. Um, But the first mountain bike race, I felt like, oh, this is what I should have been doing all this time. You know? And it was, yeah. it was just like instantaneously I got lost the and then that was all I wanted to do. Um, so that was like my first mountain bike race wasn't until the year 2000, I want to say. By 2001, I had gone pro and then, and then in 2005, I was on my first Cannondale team. And that, you know, kept doing that, like racing on the World Cup circuit and racing domestically um, at these, uh, what we used to call Norbit Nationals <laughs> back then. And-
1: You're a five-time New Mexico state champion.
0: Yeah. Like I've I've been a national champion in a lot of, and then like in the state, it's a a pretty small um, community. So I I don't know that that's such a big deal.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's a big deal. I think, look, I've been to New Mexico and I've been to Albuquerque and there's a lot of hills. So to me, as someone who just went on a gravel bike for the first time, the fact that you were like a collegiate state champion in MTB
0: and Doing cross country and short national track, champion. like all the National. Two thousand four, yeah. yeah. and then yeah, um, and then I have some masters national championships in like cyclocross and some other stuff, and then and then I have a few jerseys for uh, winning like twenty four hour nationals, things like that. Like in the yeah. in the real like elite discipline, I was you know, the best I ever was was probably like top 10 or something like that, you know, but nothing, That's still... nothing really spectacular, but I, I lived and breathed racing. I loved it so much. Um, what did you play. love about MTV or cyclocross? Like what, what it, like, what did you love about it? I mean, especially mountain bike racing, I, I think it just it comes back down to that that same thing of just sort of that that synergy between the human body and this incredible machine and the mm-hmm. optimization of, of both things to work together to kind of just overcome the terrain. Um, and that mm-hmm. battle with like a physical, you know, pile of boulders or whatever it is on the race course that that you're racing. And so using using all of those things together um just to kind of create this emergent state of of being as fast as possible over the most rugged of terrain and that is just really enticing and just trying to figure out how you can do that faster and you know it's it's the puzzle of it and um you know those things and then coupled to that is is the very important social element of it and I think yeah. my two favorite things about mountain bike racing were really just like the gals I was racing with and interacting with like on those courses like the community I, Yeah. yes yes hundred percent completely. And I kept racing for, you know, at, at some point, like, you know, everyone's there to win, right? Like first yeah. place is you're just told that that's the most important thing. However, as you into it, you just, that sort of just falls out of the equation. And yeah. it just is like, what is the maximum performance I can get out of myself? And it doesn't really matter whether you get a medal or if you're in first or second or 65th, you know, but Started like, especially toward the end of my um, career of racing, was just kind of marveling at just how fast we're all going, you know. And just just looking at this field of like seventy really fast women that are just like racing their butts off over over yeah. all this crazy rocks and everything. And I still get that feeling when I watch like a World Cup race on Red Bull TV, which I I get totally addicted to. And in, in yes, love love um, <laughs>
1: I love Red Bull. I love watching their Instagram and the crazy things that their athletes oh, yeah. do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, their coverage of the cross country racing is is so good. Has been so yeah. good. And I I'm going to I'm worried about what happens for next year when it's not happening anymore, but um but yeah, but that um is just it still just really captures my imagination and just just what what I want to to work on is just like coupling human power with this incredible, very simple um but also it has so much potential. There's so many yeah. different things that can be changed on a, on a bike, um, in order to just optimize that whole performance thing. And so, so I find it really interesting how you have like suspension elements and then you have the geometry of the bike frame itself and, you know, the components you put on it and then just down to like what the shape is of the tire, um, all these things. And, and you just can like, dial each of those um, around to just make it go as fast as possible over whatever terrain it is that you want to conquer. And I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, when I started, I did like my first bike at five and I remember, like you said, it was like a way for me to get around, you know, and to be able to get around fast and go far. And I loved exploring and discovering. And I think i I was I did MTB when in my 20s and I loved it. I think for me it was like the exploring element of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's like you can't you can't get that like anywhere else. I mean, you can like skiing or you know hiking, but like just to be on a bike and then there's something about it. It's risk taking. It's adventure. It's so cool.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, and that the adventure element of it and just like getting out onto terrain that you otherwise can't get to you on foot you can't really you know it just yeah so long or, or whatever
1: and I felt like when I went with you out in Connecticut it was just like a basic ride and I felt older <laughs> because I felt like oh my god like I haven't done this in so long like what happened to that adventure and not to say that all the other things I don't do are adventurous right yeah, like I doing triathlon it. and running like all those things but it's all perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. For my listeners, like, you know, it, it could be, you know, riding on an e-bike. It could be going for a mile run. It could be, oh, 100%. you know, getting out and doing 200 miles at unbound gravel. You know, it, it just depends on where you're at. But it's like so so much of it is perspective. Yeah. Um, and then like you were talking about like technology and suspension and the wheels and like so like from the original bike that you were on to now I mean so much has changed so talk to me a little bit about that
0: yeah so I mean I think that that's what I love so much about gravel riding in general right Um, yeah I talk about like mountain biking is probably my passion like that's that's in my heart and my soul but um, at the same time so and I really like I like the big long travel mountain bikes and how they just let us overcome Incredible obstacles. Like I'm still trying to understand that my 170 millimeter travel fork will just bail me out of like giant drops when I go off of them. Like I can, right. I, can I Right. not seem like, I'm trying to get to the next level on taking like bigger drops. You know, I can do like something, maybe my height, I can feel comfortable as long as I have like a downhill takeoff and, you know, it's shaped a certain way, um, but I'm I'm kind of limited, but yeah, but just understanding that like the bike will just, just pick up where you are. Um, yeah, you said that on, to me was when bike? we were, Wait, was that? you
1: said that to me when we were riding and it reminded me a little bit of like horseback riding, although the bike is not alive, but I mean, you know, yeah, it's like, if you too. have the confidence, exactly the same thing, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the
0: confidence in the horse, like the horse, will right. carry you over the thing, and I mean, right, the same exact you just thing. need my, to have my confidence, yeah. I just have to let it take me there, right, so yeah, yeah it's, that's it's so cool, similar. I think that's really interesting, um but yeah, but in order to, like, get to that kind of terrain, then you're coupled to, you need to drive to get there, because it's going to take mm. you day to ride your long travel mountain bike there, so the beauty of a gravel bike is that, you know, all of us live on these. Most of us live with pavement out the front door, right? And so, in yeah. order to get to that like adventurous terrain and just just to get out and explore the world, like you have to start on pavement. And the beauty of a gravel bike is you start on the pavement and you can efficiently ride on that pavement. But then, when the pavement gets rough and turns into gravel and then turns into a trail, then you're still able to to keep going and just kind of find where the limitation is of simply having drop bars and tires that are only 38 to 45 millimeters wide but but it takes you takes you really really far it takes you a lot further than a road bike ever would and in some way yeah. it takes you further than a mountain bike ever would too and so that's it's a really beautiful like coupling from either end yeah it's the great in-between. And then, yeah, and and just watching the whole gravel scene develop and how um, these bikes have kind of niches. Um, and I get to work on the most fun one for us, which is Topstone, which will kind of run the gamut of like, yeah, you still need to be efficient on the pavement and pretty fast. But once you get onto the terrain, you can have more fun than you can on really any other road bike. And so that part is, is really, really cool. And yeah. also we get to really play that, um, that fine line of um, where technology can benefit you. So it's kind of um, seems that we've we've settled on a good geo for the bike, like that, that feels both efficient but also confidence inspiring. Um, And then uh, tire size, like 45 millimeters is about as wide as you want to go on a gravel bike, like anything wider and you start feeling super inefficient on the pavement. Um, So like 38 to 45 is really a sweet spot, you know, play, play that in our specking of these bikes, too. So a gravel race bike would have narrower tires and then Topstone gets like the wider tires. But then beyond that, like suspension is the final frontier or like that's the next um, frontier. And Topstone is so much fun to just figure out exactly what is the best like place to go for like the whole bike as far as Mm -hmm. it goes um so you can add compliance elements to a bike um and then the the deal with that is that you're paying you're going to pay a weight penalty which is not necessarily really a penalty in terms of speed so figuring out how that is going to benefit the speed at which you can travel over the terrain for which the bike Mm -hmm. is designed um relative to you know your your loss of speed due to increased weight um which isn't as much as like a typical roadie might think. Um, so yeah. understanding that um, I'm thinking, yeah. But then also being able to explain that to someone that goes into the bike shop and picks up the bike and says, well, it feels heavier than my road bike. And it's like, well, it's actually not slower than your road bike. And here's why. Um, so that part of it is is really interesting. And I nerd out, you know, constantly with our other engineers that are working on the bike. It's it's like, Super fun thing, and so then, and then we also have front suspension, which I'm fortunate that you know our company Cannondale is one of the only bike makers that also makes some really sick suspension products. Like, we make the lefty, um, which is the best, like, bar none, it is the best country mountain bike fork that you can buy. It's incredible. And then we have a version of that, um, in the lefty Oliver that we put on Topstone, and that is like the best gravel um (laughs) fork on the market. Unfortunately, it's a little bit expensive relative to you know some other options that are coming out but we've been kind of doing parallel testing as as other manufacturers come out with their gravel suspension products and just finding that holy crap we nailed this thing um and so now we're in development on the the next generation of it and that's that's been really super fun too like figuring out what all the variables are how you want that ride to feel and you know just just how big of a bump you need to be able to eat up and how we do that without you know, increasing the weight beyond the point that's um, acceptable. Right. So that, that part is really fun.
1: And you went, how did you go from riding to working as a product manager for Cannondale?
0: So that's, it's pretty funny. I was working in kind of the technical realm. I was working at the national laboratories in Albuquerque um, as a, you know, materials R and D person. Um, (laughs) And I got kind of a random email um I was still racing I was still racing on a team that was sponsored by Cannondale and I was running a junior team um and getting you know getting that wonderful joy of teaching teenagers how to be really fast on a bike and like teaching them where the suffering comes from and you know all all this stuff like it's really satisfying like Coaching is so, so much fun, especially to to that age group where they're just, every day is just this new discovery and they're teaching yeah. you all the time that you're trying to teach them stuff and it's super cool. So anyway, I was really like living my best life. I was racing. I was coaching. I was working. I liked my job. Um, I had a, an earth ship that I was, um, living we have in to New talk Mountain. about the earth ship after <laughs> In New Mexico. <laughs> and I, I love New Mexico. Like I will probably end up back there one day. I'm sure. Um, yeah, but that's really like where my heart is. Um, Yeah. So I got a random email. I was on a, um, about to go on vacation with my brother. We were going to go to Eastern Europe and go rock climbing and mountain biking. And I was going to drop in on, on the world cup in Nova Mesto just for fun, like just to do one, one more world cup. Um, and then, um, I got a random email from Henning Schroeder, who's now the director of, of product at Cannondale. And at the time he was looking for a women's product manager and he sent me a, an email and said, you know, like, I know some people that, that know you from racing. Um, we're looking for a women's product manager and I'm not sure what you're doing right now, or if you might be interested in that. Um, but if, if you think you might be just, you know, give me a call and we can talk about it. And I was like, what the f- is yeah. product management Why would I? And oh, and also in the email it was like you would need to relocate to Connecticut. I was like, where is Connecticut? Um, I I bet it's flat. It looks like it's near the ocean. Like, what's the point? I don't really see any future in this. And I didn't know what product management was. And I kind of thought maybe that meant like designing women's bike shorts or something. Yeah, (laughs) I'd never heard of that before. Yeah, I totally get it was deep in the science, technology, like field. I wasn't into business. I didn't know anything about it. So uh, totally ignored the email, went on my trip. I was on my way back. And when I opened my computer on the plane to log into my work email and see what was going on and make sure that I hit the ground running for, for work the next day, I was like, Oh, that was for some reason, the first email that popped up um, So oh, like, wow. I, yeah. I looked at it and was like, I turned to my brother and I was like, I got this random email from someone that was like, Hey, you want to work for Cannondale? And he's like, Oh, that's cool. Wow. You've been in Cannondale bikes forever. You love your kid. And we have just been riding our Cannondale bikes, you know, all over Czech Republic and Poland and like having a great time. And he's like, well, that's, that's kind of cool that they would email you that. And I was like, yeah, but it, they say I have to move. And he's like, well, <laughs> you, have you ever been to Connecticut? I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so I was like okay well maybe I'll give this guy a call um just I was just in that headspace after having like just just wandered around and been free and on vacation and so it kind of just like entered in as a as a potential possibility you know somewhere and then when I got home and called the guy I was like oh he's really cool um and then he's like hey you want to just you should just come out for a visit you know no stress no pressure and then i came out and it ended up being like full on job interview but they sent me to um, go trail running on some some trails nearby and I went and ran it was June it was like 94 degrees um, in town it was was like terrible heat waves you know terrible humidity you know I get I have no poker
1: face I'm like oh yeah, it's I'm awful. just like drowning
0: in sweat <laughs> when I'm walking from my rental car into the into Out. the building. Um, and then you know, the rooms are absolutely freezing with like that air conditioning and, and whatnot. Um, but every conversation I had was just wonderful and I didn't want it to end. And I really liked everybody I spoke to, even though it was like, I was like, Oh damn, these are formal interviews. That's not what yeah. I was expecting. But I didn't want any of the conversations to end. Like I just I really, really Loved liked it. it people. And then um, they weren't able to round up a small bike for me in time and it was like kind of a spur of the moment thing. And so I just went trail running on where they said the good mountain bike trails were. And I was just blown away by both how cool it was. Like once mm-hmm. you're into the forest, it was so dark and just fragrant and beautiful. And yeah, no idea it was 95 degrees um, out on the pavement. Cause it was definitely like at least 10 degrees cooler in there. I mean, probably more. Um And I was able yeah. to. I didn't even have to stop. And like, I felt energized by the amount of oxygen, which I wasn't used to because I was, you know, living between 6,000 and 8,000 feet most of the time. And, you know, just like looking at the rocks and thinking about riding my bike over them and got really excited. And I was like, Oh, actually there's so much terrain in Connecticut. There's a lot of hills and a lot of, um, you know, like rugged places to ride in. I, I, I was, I love it there. Yeah. I was hooked. I, I went back to New Mexico and was like, yeah, I mean, what's really stopping me from just picking everything up and moving 3,000 miles east? I mean, less than 3,000 miles, but that's what it feels like.
1: <laughs> and so, yeah, talk to me about the Earthship. So when you were in Albuquerque, you were living in an Earthship. So, so I was, my listeners yeah. my
0: time between um, Cuesta, which is north of Taos, New Mexico. Um, and okay. up there, there um, so Taos has a very famous community of Earthships, um, which is kind of sustainable um, architecture that was invented by this guy, uh, Reynolds. Um, and he he wrote a book on how to do this, how to build an earth ship, which is um, a vessel for sailing the seas of tomorrow or, you know, something, something that's like cool. that. Yeah, yeah. it's super, super cool, but like 100% sustainable structure that's basically made of garbage. Um, and so what you do is you take old car tires, and you stack them in like a, a u-shape and each one you fill with dirt and you pound the dirt in place so each one will weigh like 200 pounds um so that's a huge thermal mass right and so you build the whole structure out of like repeating use of, of that so you just stack a tire pound the dirt into it i didn't actually build it myself we stumbled on one that was just like tucked into a mountainside in of new mexico and it just happened to be for sale and we thought we would um just try moving our life up there. Like it was, it was a really super cool. So what you do is like you, you build, you build the structure out of these old tires and then you put some windows on the front of it, like South facing preferably. um, And then you get, um, passive solar radiation to heat the house. And what happens is you have this huge thermal mass from these like massive structures that are made of tires and dirt and so mm-hmm. those absorb all the sunlight and all the heat from that during the day and then kind of radiate it back out at night. So you don't need to actually like heat the house um, extrinsically. It's just, it's all done you with know, this passive solar. And it's it's really cool because you can be up there, you can be in a blizzard. It'll be you know twenty degrees below zero outside, and the inside of the house never gets colder than sixty degrees, and that's without any inputs. And it's that's really amazing. cool. Sixty is actually quite comfortable. Um, so it was it was a really really neat place to to live and spend my time. And so I would split my time between like working remotely up there and then working in Albuquerque. And then that's would- great. Do you feel yeah, like yeah.
1: everyone always says that, I don't know if it's Santa Fe or all of New Mexico
0: that's in a spiritual vortex. I felt I think it. There's something but, really magical and special yeah. about, that, about that place. And it really like, it gets gets in your blood. Um, and then it's it's really, it's both hard to leave. That's why we call it the land of entrapment. And then it's, uh, well, it's the land of enchantment is what the license plate says. And it's tough because there's just, there's not a lot of like jobs there. Like the, the jobs yeah. are very sort of limited it's sort of amazing to be on the east coast and just see how many different things people can do for a job like I don't right one does product management in New Mexico <laughs> no I mean right. I, it may not be true I, but, but they're not like making things they're not making a lot of things <laughs> so yeah um but that's okay that, uh, that's the whole spiritual vortex and all that stuff like like I think it's it, yeah I I don't think that's unreasonable. Um, there's a really long human history there, you know, like a Mm -hmm. lot of people were there, like doing really interesting things. There's like this whole, um, place called Chaco Canyon, which is a, uh, a national park. If you ever get a chance to go there, it's incredible. And you just see the most amazing architecture that people built thousands of years ago. And they just made these perfectly stacked, um, structures. And there's a lot of, um, Synergy between that and like the the phases of the sun and the moon and the way like the windows line up and you can read all about like the the right times to go there and you can just see like these, you know, solar arrays and like lunar arrays and things that that, uh, that just work really magically with the architecture that they figured out how to do like so long ago. So there is all of that and then there's like a lot of old creepy stuff from the interaction between the spanish settlers and the native people that were already there and like the pueblos are are really really cool um those were um some really neat communities that that were you know in existence pre-columbian um and they were they were kind of like borderline respected by the Spanish that came there because they were already, you know, like engaging in agriculture and they had like these these um really incredible architectural villages that they lived yeah. in that they could um you know defend from invaders and you know do stuff like that. Um but then of course it, it all went to hell. They suffered terribly. Yes. Um, but then but then in modern times, you know, many of the pueblos have have maintained their sovereignty and many of them have have fought to get their land back from the U.S. because lots of it was stolen hundreds of years ago. So, so all of that, all of that comes there's into a lot that. of history. Like yeah, you feel it. You feel it on the landscape there. And then there's a lot of like old creepy stuff. Like I really like being scared, and I really like going yeah. to places that have reported hauntings and things like that. Yes, and so yeah. all of that too. So, so in that way, there's kind of this this uh, parallel. I love stuff like that too. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> I'm oh, told, man, but
1: I'm I don't want to be in it. Like I, I love hearing about it, but yeah.
0: but northern New Mexico is full of creepy stuff. Yeah. So, so as far as the creepy stuff goes, one of the really fun things about working at Cannondale is that. I just, you know, when I moved here, I immediately was surrounded by riding friends because, you know, there's, what, 150 people in the office. Most of them are really into riding bikes. You yeah. so immediately have, like, a crew to go ride with. And so we we invent, like, little silly group ride slash party things to do. So we have, um, we just did our solstice ride, which is where we ride from dawn until dusk on the, hopefully on the solstice, which is actually today, this year. But, but this year we had to do it on the Saturday before because, you know, we're, we're working. Yeah, <laughs> so, yes yeah um but so we do that and then we're all really tired and we sit and we have a bonfire and we burn our grievances in the fire uh, with the, along with a little effigy we make like really lackadaisically out of um, firewood but then for for Halloween we started doing a creep, a spooky ride so what we do is we we come up with a route that covers a few little known haunted areas or places with supernatural activity that we've heard about and I mean there's just like a a trove of like places you can go like last year we went to one of the most haunted cemeteries in all of north america and then this this year we did it from my house and even from here there's like a plethora of really creepy things and what we do is like we find out who's going to go on the ride and you assign people especially only people that are into it right but you assign them (laughs) a story to tell so when we go to certain haunted sites they have to either do research or just come up with something, you know, either in advance or on the spur of the moment, Um, you know, depending on the personality, like some people just with just crazy things, just, just out of their top of their head when they get there. But then one person on the ride this year, like she did this spoken word performance and pre-recorded it, um, had a friend like write some original background music and then when we got to her site which is the Marchant um, cemetery she had her friend like hit play on his iphone and like he played it through a speaker of her like doing this performance <laughs> that's so cool <laughs> Yeah, but it's just you know, like and just people will tell crazy stories about like witches or haunted railroad crossings or you guys
1: scare yourself to death and then ride really fast out of the forest. So
0: so fun. We're doing it in the dark and we're creeping around these cemeteries and you know we turn off have to turn off our lights to tell the stories. Oh my god, that sounds so scary
1: (laughs) and fun. It's so good. Yeah. So that's one of the is everyone like the same level riding? Like have you guys all
0: experienced cyclists or so variable, yeah it's that's another really cool thing too is that it's just like everyone has their passion in a certain way around bikes and it could be yeah. that they like thinking about bikes and they don't ride them all that much <laughs> or they could be like really hardcore riders a lot of the guys on our engineering team are especially are just um such good riders last year we took this trip to Oaxaca um and rode mountain bikes every day and just I'm just astonished at like the things that these guys can ride and how fast like downhill we did 10,000 feet of descending every day and
1: is there a level of the bike that's like for racing versus the Topstone Lefty? Like, are there like if you were a pro athlete, what bike would you buy if you wanted to be like really fast?
0: It just depends on what kind of race you're doing. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, our bike that has done the best on like kind of the the traditional like really long, um, kind of unbound gravel. Unbound, for example, then you would want our Super Six Evo SE, which is our racing gravel bike. Um, so that's a, a rigid frame. Um, it's made of carbon and it's very aerodynamic. It's very light um, and it's it's uh, designed to hold pretty big tires. So you can put like sturdy tires in it for that terrible um, Flint Ridge kind of gravel that they have there that that is notorious for tearing tires apart. But still, like you slice through the air and it's it's really a really good, really fast, efficient bike. But if you're doing like a more adventurous, longer, uh, more rugged kind of race, then you may be much better off with a top stone. You might be better off with a top yeah. stone with a lefty Oliver on it. Uh, we heard from some riders up in, you know northern michigan who have like this race series where they just they show up and they don't know where they're going to have to race or what the conditions are going to be like oh uh, my god yeah. those guys yeah. really really like having um the the extra comfort and as well as the security and the stability and the speed that you get from having suspension on your gravel bike so they really appreciate that
1: and what about the wheels because I would just be always so worried about like having carbon wheels on a gravel bike and all the gravel hitting the wheel. And I'm sure that there is an answer for this.
0: I mean, they get, they get scratched up. Like if you're, if you're on really rugged, terrible gravel, but for the most part, we, you know, we have pretty sturdy um, carbon wheels on our gravel bike. Like I wouldn't, I have some not 64s that I run on my system six and I, I don't think I would ride those on, on much gravel, but there's cases in which I would when I really want that aerodynamic yeah. benefit. Um, but yeah, like they just get a little scratched up, but I, I wouldn't be worried about them at this, yeah. this point, especially if you're running the right tires. I think that your tire choice is really important for the yeah. event that you're what, doing. What goes into the tire choice? Like um, so the different really, sizes. Yeah. I yeah, just know I, um, if you if you really get into that weight weenie space and you want a super lightweight um, tire, then you're you're definitely running more of a flat risk, right? Okay. If you, if you are yeah. on on gravel that's that's rougher and that might have like some sharper pieces to it, um, and if you're running lower tire pressure, then you you definitely risk um, getting a flat. So you could instead run some some more rugged tires, um, just thicker tires, heavier tires, more knobby tires for for the kind of terrain that you're going to be on. So, so that decision factors in maybe a little bit more when you're talking about gravel events.
1: Do people carry tires with them in their bags? No.
0: No. I mean, okay. that, that checking. would that'd be crazy. I mean, do
1: you carry like what happens the tire gets like gets gravel in it and then what? Like you just change out the tube like a regular bike? No or
0: Um yeah, no? it's it's better to run it tubeless. So, okay. tubeless and you have a little yeah. bit of sealant in there and so smaller punctures will get sealed by the sealant and then you also carry dyna plugs with you so Mm -hmm. most most racers at these longer events would just be able to just fix their their tire using a dyna plug and it's much faster than changing out the tube and everything so it's just a little rubber piece that has a metal uh, point on one end and so you stick the metal point in and as you pull the tool out you're left with like a rubber plug that's perfectly filling the hole and then the Mm sealant do the rest of the work to make sure that that you don't lose any more air and then you shouldn't even have to add too much air to it it's like a really fast and efficient way to fix a tubeless tire and it's you know yeah way way better than running tubes and then what people do now also there's um there's tire inserts that were Mm -hmm. kind of invented for downhill mountain biking but people have them now developed in sizes that will fit in a grapple tire. And so I actually run those on my top stone for riding in the Connecticut woods because we get a lot of pinch flats. There's a lot of roots yeah. you can't see under the leaves and sharp rocks. Um, and so I just carry dyna plugs and have a tire insert in there, and I can go all day and, like, have total confidence that I won't get stranded. It'll be fine.
1: Do that. Uh, wasn't mountain biking, like, the first sport not to have – tubes like to be tubeless yeah Um, of all the cycling like road cyclists
0: mountain biking has driven innovation yeah cycling for for it
1: does right and it's
0: yeah it's like this trickle down this slow trickle down so like you know some mountain bike technology goes to road racing and then you know like the the tubeless tubeless thing that started with mountain bikes um the tire insert thing the suspension thing right (laughs) so yeah all
1: of it (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's so interesting and so now for you What's your next event that you're going to do? Do you have something on your bucket list? Like, what's. Yeah, one yeah. thing I wanted
0: to point out actually about, like, oh. one more benefit of, of riding gravel is honestly yes. the events. The events are just rad. Like, that's it, kind of yeah. epitomizes yeah. everything that's great about riding bikes and then also that sort of social element of doing it together with other people. Um, and so a lot yeah. of the, the best gravel events, they definitely have a race at the front of the event, but at the same time, there's like a sort of festival atmosphere. And then there's also just this, this universal feeling of like, we're all in this conquering the terrain together and accomplishing something. And there isn't like that so much emphasis. Um, it's, it's really cool to just participate in these events. And I just go in the mid pack and I talk to people about, you know what is their setup? you know What were they looking yeah. for when they bought their gravel bike? What do they want in their next one? you know, just, just, just general things, um, general gripes they might have about things you you, you might not know unless you talk to someone while they're actually racing and then, yeah. like, you know, yeah. I wish my bike did something different. Um, yeah. And then it's also where I, I really <laughs> see a lot of, um, people are getting jealous of my, of my fork. Um, when I have my lefty Oliver on there, like they're like, Oh, they
1: are. Okay. They're like, what is that? And yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's super interesting talking to people like out on the courses. Um, but yeah, so, so this last summer I did the, um, steamboat gravel, which was okay. an incredible event. Like they do a wonderful job. And then I thought it was really sweet that as you finish, there's like volunteers that are there for every single person that finishes, no matter what distance you did. And they give you like a cold towel and, a finisher's hat and it's like it's really nice it really I mean as, as much as I would just kind of do that like oh god like I don't need any of this but it's it's just it's really nice it's nice that they make everyone feel special for for accomplishing their goal like they completed that event yeah it's like a big deal it's super cool um so that one is one that I think is is run so well Steamboat. and it's really fun to go to yeah um but there's um the northeastern ones I I absolutely adore. Like my very favorite, um, gravel event anywhere is, is one that's called the Ranger in Vermont. It's in Tunbridge on their world's fairgrounds. And like you camp out the night before and everyone's like chilling, having fires, you know, cooking up some barbecue or whatever. And then the next day you wake up, you, you race, but the race is actually not even, it's not timed. It's only timed in segments. So it's kind of, um, it's, I don't want to call it enduro style because you're not timed on the downhills, but there's just like little segments and you have to be like a member of this um, ranger group and like actually be recording it on Strava. And then like at the end of the race, you know, the winner is whoever was fastest over these segments. And you can make <laughs> yeah. whatever speed you want with your friends. And then you get to a sign that says segment starts here and then you go fast and then you wait for them when you're at the top. And then, you know, like you do it again. That's the next cool. one. Yeah, It's it's so cool. And it just really, creates this sense of camaraderie and you know like you can you can ride with your friends no matter how fast anyone is like if you're willing to wait um or you know race each other or Or not yeah and then you finish and there's um you know like a festival going on there's like beer and music and people dancing and and it's like it's just really fun it's just you're just hanging out in some field in vermont and um having a great time and like rooted is like that too um there's also Rude, the Vermont Burland yeah. is really fun. So, I mean, I would really recommend any of the events that
1: they have. When, when is the ranger one? That's
0: in June, mid June.
1: Okay. It's usually the so same weekend warm. that
0: Killington yeah. park opens. <laughs> so, <laughs> I try to go to Killington on Saturday and go do the ranger on Sunday. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And then otherwise there's like, that's
1: where I used to do mountain biking in um, Vermont, like the first town. Not Killington, uh, closer.
0: I don't know that it, remember the name, but I don't know. We always raced at Mount Snow. Mount Snow was like Mount
1: Snow. Okay, so that that's what I'm seeing. That's outside. Yeah, park Mount went. Snow. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Mount Snow is classic. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't know how their bike park is. I haven't actually been to it. I know they have one, but
1: I think it was good. I had fun.
0: Yeah, I always really like doing the cross country races there, but I mean, it also makes me never want to go back because I don't want to remember vomiting on my shoes and you know just. <laughs> yeah <laughs> just turning myself inside out on like a hot humid vermont summer day yeah so
1: you like the races in the northeast yeah. you, you oh, think yeah, they're really yeah, good travel yeah. Yeah.
0: up here so so that part is is really cool there's also like there's a really fun event called the nutmeg nor'easter that happens really at the end of the year it's like late october and that's actually in connecticut um that's a pretty fun one because they encourage people to kind of mini bike pack um, there so you go you you park in a field and then you you ride your bike packing setup out into another field and like set up your tent and like hang out in a big group um, and it's 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 super fun so it's like a, a group bike packing experience and then there's like crazy routes that you do
1: that's cool and I'm just thinking about GPS like do you need to be on your own with your GPS or
0: I mean you just, should you should download the ride like you should have it on your ride with GPS or whatever. Like you can have it on your phone. I mean at, at that event at the Nutmeg Nor Easter they actually give you like a, a phone mount. Like you can borrow a phone mount for the day. So if, oh, wow. if you don't okay. have a GPS computer, if you don't have like a Wahoo or a Garmin, then you can just use your phone with one of these mounts and just like be running the course as you go. So it's it's super nice.
1: I'm adding mastering the art of following GPS to my list of things to do in 2023.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's gotten so easy. We I could, suck at it. Uh, I, I can, really do. I can give you a little but like we can we can uh, we can do a tutorial. Well, it.
1: I got I have like the giant Garmin 1030 Plus. I love it. But before that, I mean, look, I'm wearing glasses, and I should be wearing glasses beyond just sitting here talking to you. Uh, you know, to read some of my questions, it's but... It's really challenging
0: with the with a riding computer because it's like that long-distance focus and, like, look down and you're like, what am I... Yeah, no, no, everyone has a problem. Like, downloading the route and, like, having it there for you is, like... Yeah, yeah it's a that's step good. Forward. It's, it's pretty nice.
1: So those are the rides. Those are the things that you're going to do. Is there anything, like, on your bucket list that you've not not done yet that you really want to I mean, do?
0: so we, we talked about Unbound and and whenever I think about Unbound, I'm like, you know, that's just pure suffering. Like, I, I don't really... I mean, like it's, is it? it's kind of beautiful what out is, there, why? but I think RAGBRAI is more on my bucket list than, uh, than Unbound, <laughs> but <laughs> bucket list, as far as gravel events go, I mean, I really would just like to get out and do some, like, I mean, I wouldn't even say bikepacking. I want to go do some like credit card touring of some beautiful places. Um, I, yeah. I'd be really into that, but I'd like to, I don't know. I'd like to go ride a gravel bike across Mongolia or something like that. Maybe I'll do that. Someday. Yeah. Um, yeah. cause that's one of the countries I haven't been to that I'd really like to go to. Like, yeah, like those, um, the, the steps of Asia sound pretty, pretty enticing. I think I'd like to do that. Um,
1: so you like to travel uh, like at your vacations involve cycling of some capacity. Well, I won't
0: go on vacation without a bike. I, I did that once. Yeah. I don't know, like six years ago, uh, I went to Vietnam and just like every day I was like, this is cool, yeah. but I wish I had my bike (laughs) so so my rule is if if I'm going far away I'm I'm bringing a bike and most of my vacations lately have been have involved the mountain bike so like over the summer we went and rode a bunch of bike parks in British Columbia um actually drove all the way out there and 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 rode some bike parks I'd never been to and some trails I'd never been to and it, it was it was really it was great it was it was really really um that was like a big part of my bucket list that I'm now like check okay cool (laughs) so I need to come up with like the next what's the next thing I don't know
1: so you're into gravel because you come from like your background obviously you come from mountain biking and cyclocross yeah and
0: like I said I think I think gravel is is most enticing just from that like out your front door kind of riding thing like yeah like more days I find myself on my gravel bike just exploring um and it's it's so fun it's so freeing and it's really cool to just like you know, turn off onto some trail you'd never noticed before and see where it leads you. I feel like, I feel like where you are in uh, in New York City, like there would be
1: so many. be good for potholes. Great opportunity. That's the rationale but
0: that I'm going But just getting out with. of the city, getting out of the city yeah. and like through like the, the kind of, kind of, I don't want to call it a wasteland but um but it's really interesting to just are you talking some- about new jersey no i'm kidding yeah i mean <laughs> you just jump on these like weird little paths that kind of go under the freeways and stuff and then yeah and then eventually you pop out and you're in the hudson valley or something and I think yeah it really it's beautiful took a ride from grand central station on my Topstone, and then we just um ended up on the canal path that goes next to the hudson it goes for miles and miles and miles and it's gravel. Yeah. it's freaking beautiful but like the scariest three miles I spent on my bike was getting like in the city (laughs) from downtown Manhattan to, you know, to the entry of, of those, those things. It was, uh,
1: it is, I will say that as much as I, I do love, like I love riding over the GW, not literally on the GW, but like once you get over the GW, like in New Jersey
0: and like, it's amazing.
1: It's so nice. It's Mm -hmm. beautiful. And even I can ride on nine W like every weekend and I still there's always a challenge. There's always wind. There's whatever, weather. It's the, it, Even if it's the same path, but then I love exploring and going back through the different neighborhoods. You know, I did a century last year up towards Bear Mountain, but not to Bear Mountain. Okay. I still have not been on my bike to Bear Mountain. But oh, we
0: should do that this summer.
1: I would love to. And actually, you know, I thought what I really was surprised about with the Topstone, and I'm, I thought it was really cool, was that it was fast it was very light. You know, I just, in my mind, I had envisioned like a much heavier bike and I was, you know, I've been on my road bike. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, it was, it was just like being on my road bike, Mm -hmm. honestly. I mean, well, and my road bike isn't like that heavy, but the bike was just light.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's sort of just, (laughs) turns really rough gravel into a smooth paved surface is, is what's typically happening. And, And it's, it's really cool to feel that. Um, and I'm glad I took you up that really steep long hill because that that was yeah. where I realized it too. I was like, oh wait, you know what? I'm I'm not bitching about that. And I am a notorious weight weed.
1: You're like, you like hills, right? I'm like, uh, how do I answer that question? Yeah. <laughs> yes and no. It just depends. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> but even I I was out with some guys that are part of this like triathlon club that I sometimes drop into their runs or whatever, and they are now doing gravel and I mean, they still do triathlon, but they were saying that there's all these roads that they, all these paths that they go on that they were like, we'll take you with us. Like if cool. you want to come Yeah. and they're riding their gravel bikes on the road, but I, I wonder if they're dialed in to some of the technology that you guys have at, at Cannondale with their bike. I feel like their bikes are like old gravel bikes or old, you know, they're not modern yeah so I mean, they probably aren't as light gravel has yeah. changed
0: so quickly like the the bikes yeah. that um yeah like with the invention of disc brakes like that kind of yeah enabled gravel to become a thing at all Um because yes. you could never, you could never get tire clearance until you had disc brakes like in a road train. so so that was like the first stepping off point but we haven't really had like good disc brakes for road bikes for very long so it's it's been like exponential it's been really really fast rate of development and change um in gravel so if, if your gravel bike is like three years old then it's it's like ancient history yeah
1: yeah I mean I feel like even disc brakes I mean they've been around 10 years I mean maybe longer in other sports but in the road sport when did they sort of uh, not even
0: 10 years on, on road brakes, you know. yeah because
1: I think I got my bike and then, like the next year, disc brakes came out. So maybe five years. Yeah, it seems, it seems
0: like we were we were kind of 50, 50 on disc. Yeah, to, I was yeah. brakes um, in our in our lineups as recent as like twenty seventeen, or maybe it was even later that we that we got this many. But um, yeah, it's it's relatively recent. I lose track of what year it is because I'm I'm kind of operating in twenty twenty five space right now. It's hard to come back to okay, it's twenty three now. It's only been four years.
1: Wait, so what was speaking of 2025? What's next? Like, what's like the that you can talk about?
0: I, I think you can just expect um, gravel to keep getting more and more interesting, honestly. I think there's going to be just yeah. more of a proliferation of a kind of exact spec that you could be in search of. So it, it gets both more cons- more confusing for the rider, but also, mm-hmm. you know, more specific for the rider. So as riders more and more know exactly what kind of gravel they're going to want to ride on, it's going to become easier to, to find the bike that was perfectly designed for, for that purpose. So it's a little bit harder, but also um, at the, at the end of that point, you'll find a bike that you're much happier with, which is super cool.
1: And do, will people change out the wheels like they do like the wheels and the tires also like they do for a triathlon, you know, depending on the course or do you have to get a whole new bike?
0: Oh no, no. I think I think definitely tires and wheels can take you really far. Um yeah, so you kind yeah. of like hone in on what drivetrain you need and and what the characteristics of the overall bike are and then you get a lot of variability um in tires and wheel choice that that enable you to really be able to do a, a pretty wide spectrum within a single bike. So it's it's kind of a cool upgrade that you can make.
1: And now do you ride all winter? Yep. Yeah. No, what's do you have a temperature threshold, or you're good?
0: I mean, I definitely it's it's more like if I need to know something about a bike, then I will be motivated to ride it. Um, mm-hmm. But I I try to limit it to sunny days. Like I can ride well below freezing as long as the sun is out. But um, mm-hmm. you know, there there's definitely those Connecticut days where I'm like I'm just gonna run. Um, running is good because I'm terrible at it, super inefficient. I get really hot really fast. Um, and then cross-country skiing, too, is is also, like, really good. And my dogs.
1: Is that – those are your other sports? That's what you do when you're not cycling?
0: I, th- I think so. Yeah, yeah. Probably more just, like, post-holing in the snow outside my door. <laughs> <to be>
1: <laughs> <honest>. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm so glad that we were able to have this conversation. I'm definitely coming back to ride with you again. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I will. I, <laughs> I do not have the same threshold as you, so you will see me in uh, maybe April.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'll call you when the weather gets, gets good. Conditions are. Good. I'm a fair
1: weather athlete. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I just can't work
0: out indoors. So I have to, I have to continue. So,
1: oh, so you don't do the trainer. You don't have a trainer.
0: Not anymore. When I was a racer, I definitely would, like, have the motivation to get those workouts in. Yeah. But back then, I was waking up every morning, and my first thought was, what do I do today to get faster? And then now, I yeah. wake up every morning, and I think, what can I do today that's going to create the perfect ride for some rider out there that that needs their Cannondale to do exactly what they want it to do? And I, I love feeling that motivation every day. And And so, like, sometimes I'm more motivated to just dive into my spreadsheets than I am to, like, get out and go for a ride, unless... Unless the question about what's going to make life better for this Cannondale rider is, you know, pertaining to some decision I need to make on like how much compliance they're going to have in their top topstone frame. So I need yeah. to go ride one of these variants and figure out which one is going to feel better. So
1: I honestly think that means that you have arrived when you can come to a point in your life where you can like make an educated decision around preferring to work versus going out on your bike.
0: <laughs> oh, man.
1: That is real graduation. <laughs> Not old, just, you know, (laughs) I still can't do it. And I am old.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nah, we're seasoned.
1: This has been so awesome, Nina. Thank you. Thanks, Marnie. I
0: appreciate it.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarniOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarniOnTheMove1 at gmail.com and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of, If you have questions for our guests, just reach out.